0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our meditation this morning is what we just heard from John chapter 6, the words of Jesus. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So I was a senior in high school. On a college visit to Concordia University in Portland to see if that was the place I could see myself attending that following year. And, uh, it was an official visit that the university had set up and they, they set it up so that you would stay in the dorms with actual real life college students, kind of see what, what college life was like, have them show you around a little bit. And, and so I was introduced to, to that. But that fateful weekend, I was introduced is so much more than that. It was a little after 1 a.m. one night while we were there, and me and the other high schooler I was with were used to going to bed at least a couple hours earlier, so we were pretty tired, but but our hosts were still very much going about their day, and they decided to go for a food run to a place I had never heard of before called Popeye's. And they came back with some biscuits and and offered them to us, and kind of trying to politely let them know that we were exhausted and ready for bed, we we politely declined. Well, the next morning when I woke up, I was inexplicably hungry. And there were a couple Popeye's biscuits left over. They'd been sitting in their little cardboard container, left out all night, exposed to the elements. I knew they were rock hard and it'd be a very bad idea to try one, but I was just hungry enough against my better judgment I reached over and grabbed one, took a bite. Immediately, I was overcome with a sensation that caused me to question everything I ever knew as I experienced a level of deliciousness that I had never heretofore considered possible. Now, if you think I'm exaggerating, you can ask my wife, Emily, about my inordinate love for Popeye's biscuits, a love that started that morning about 15 years ago in a stinky college dorm room. Now, if you've never had one, a Popeye's biscuit is, is a combination of, of a little bit of heaven mixed with about a pound of butter and then something else that makes it kind of in bread form. I am sure they are unbelievably bad for you, but they taste so unbelievably good that I was converted by one that had been left out several hours sitting in the open. So what's your favorite type of bread? I've heard a lot about Red Lobster's Cheddar Bay Biscuits. What about Olive Garden's Breadsticks? The homemade bread you get at Lucky's Steakhouse before your meal that makes you not even hungry for steak by the time it comes. Then there's Wonder Bread, there's Flat Bread, there's Cheese Bread, Gluten-Free Bread, or really any free bread. Bread is something that transcends culture. It's something that it's a staple food that, that everybody on the planet for the most part needs to eat i'm guessing that the most of us have a favorite kind and most of us probably have some special memories involving bread i can still when i think about it taste my grandmother's cinnamon rolls from my childhood or even my wife's homemade crescent rolls from my adulthood now the people of israel also had some special and important memories involving bread we read about it in exodus 16 today In the previous chapter, Exodus 15, one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament, they had just crossed the Red Sea on dry ground as God had performed an incredible miracle with water and rescued them from their Egyptian pursuers. And now in chapter 16, they find themselves in the ironically and aptly named Desert of Sin, and they suddenly realize that there are no Popeye's franchises anywhere to be seen. Now, modern travelers to that desert today typically take about 40 days worth of provisions for themselves and their animals, but Israel was not able to do that, and now the newness of their freedom is wearing off, and the hardship of life in the wilderness is beginning to set in. Winnie the Pooh had sung about the the rumbly in his tumbly. And Israel starts to know what that feels like, so they add grumbly to the mix as they grumble against Moses and Aaron and and say that they wish they had never left Egypt, that they had died there, where, quote, we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Israel's complaint is certainly understandable to a point, but they're remembering it wrong. Life was not good in Egypt. As slaves, they hardly ever ate meat, and they worked oppressively hard for their bread. Still, Israel prefers the swill of slavery to the food of the free. Well, how often do you or I take for granted the the gifts that God gives to us every day? We might find Israel's grumbling incredible right after God has done this miracle at the Red Sea, but it's not without parallel in our own lives when we, for arguably less reason than Israel, complain about where God's leading us. Every time that we return to a sinful habit or or sinful ways of thinking or sinful ways of talking about other people, we are essentially trying to go back to Egypt, back to slavery. But God is merciful to us, just as he was to Israel. They're grumbling gave God occasion to respond, and he responded by literally raining down bread from heaven. And I don't mean literally the way some people do, which means figuratively. No, God literally rained down bread from heaven. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said, What is it? That's what manna actually means. The word manna means, what is it? that simply became its name manna today we, we might call it something like whatchamacallit we're given some details about this whatchamacallit a little bit later in the chapter and and throughout the bible it it says that it was like coriander seed it was white it tasted like wafers made with honey it could be ground in a hand mill it could be baked into cakes it seems to have had as many different uses and recipes as Bubba Gump shrimp but when Israel first asked the question What is it? Moses gives them a very simple answer. It is the bread that Yahweh has given you to eat. That's exactly what it was. This manna would feed Israel for 40 years, not just 40 days, only stopping after the people crossed the Jordan River, just like they had the Red Sea, into the Promised Land. And while the manna lasted 40 years, its memory lasted centuries beyond that, holding a central place in Israel's past, and as we see in our gospel lesson for today, Israel's future. Some 1,400 years after God fed the people of Israel with manna in the desert, Jesus would also feed the people of Israel, 5,000 men plus women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish. That's the miracle that opens John chapter 6. And then Jesus sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee and follows them on foot by walking on water. At the beginning of our reading for today, the people whom Jesus had just miraculously fed have also crossed the lake in search of him. Yet again, God has performed an incredible miracle with water. And as we'll see, yet again, the people of Israel grumble against him. Their conversation doesn't start out in the most positive of ways. It begins with Jesus calling them out for their misplaced motives and chasing after him. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. As Luther put it, they came to Jesus not because of his miracles and his teaching, but for the sake of their miserable bellies, which they held so dear. Dear. What about us? Do we ever seek Jesus for the wrong reasons? Or are we ever more concerned with our bellies than our souls? More concerned with the stuff of this world than the stuff of Christ? Even my own introduction to this message would suggest that that's often the case. Here was Israel seeking more bread when when Jesus was offering them eternal life. How often do we expect of Jesus so much less than he offers and then complain when it doesn't come to us as we think it should? There's this famous quote by C.S. Lewis that I'm sure I've shared before that talks about this. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Well, so is Israel. And so Jesus urges them to stop working for food that perishes. Galilean peasants worked hard for their bread. They knew better than we do that there's no such thing as a free lunch. But Jesus wanted to open their eyes to something far greater than the needs of their bodies. He wanted them to stop working so hard for food that was only physical. He wants the same for us. This doesn't mean that we don't care for our bodies, our families, the things necessary for this life. But it does mean, as one ancient preacher put it, that we take care not to be nailed to the things of this life. So Jesus graciously denied their request for merely physical food and offered them the food that endures to eternal life. When they heard about this food, they they asked what they must do to do the works of God in order to earn this kind of bread, in order to merit the eternal life of which Jesus was speaking. But Jesus takes their question and and turns it on its head. First, he changes the plural of their works to work. And then he shows them that, that even this is not our work, but it is quite literally the work of God. He shows them that the work of God is faith. He shows them and us that that what we can do to merit eternal life is nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. It is a gift. In the desert of sin, the people of Israel, in order to to receive the manna, had to do only just that. Receive it. To go out and, and to gather what God had freely given and Jesus says that it's the same for us. The only work that is required to receive the eternal bread that Jesus speaks of is just that, to receive it, namely to receive him, the one whom God has sent. This is the work of God, the work that is pleasing to God, yes, but in an even deeper sense, it is the work that is done by God, because he is the one who plants the gift of faith into our hearts but the crowds aren't quite having it. In fact, they demand that Jesus back up this bold assertion with a work of his own. Apparently feeding 5,000 men plus women and children just didn't quite cut it. After all, Moses had fed over 600,000 in the desert, not once, but for 40 years. Still more, there was this prevalent expectation among the Jews at the time that the Messiah would bring back the manna, that his coming would mean that the bread would rain down from heaven once again. One Jewish Midrash said, As the first Redeemer brought down the manna, so will also the last Redeemer cause the manna to come down. And in fact, Jesus does. But not as they expected. And so Jesus responds to their demands for a sign on par with that of Moses, not with another miracle, but with the first of his seven famous I am statements in the Gospel of John. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It was not Moses who had fed Israel in the desert with bread from heaven, but God. And now God has sent down the true bread from heaven, given to sustain his people forever. Jesus is not merely the one who provides the bread from heaven, Jesus is the bread from heaven. Jesus is the bread of eternal life. He daily and richly provides us with all that we need to support this body and life, yes. But even more, he has come down to give us eternal bodies and eternal life. He came down from heaven when he was born in the city of Bethlehem, a word that means in Hebrew, house of bread. He preached the gospel to to Israel and and to the nations and, and to us. And then he suffered and he died, laying down his life for us. And now, risen from the dead, he invites us to partake of him through faith, to feed our souls with his word and with himself. And he promises that coming to him will satiate us in every way, that we will never again hunger or thirst once we have experienced him and allowed him to fill up that empty void inside of us. If earthly bread is vital to our life here on earth, how much more vital is Jesus, the bread of life, for our life in eternity? So let's not neglect the gifts that he has given to us. People of Israel had asked of the manna, what is it? And in the small catechism, we ask the same question about the Lord's Supper. And then we answer, It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine, instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. Let us never take lightly the gift of holy communion, but come eagerly to receive it as often as we can. Let us never take lightly the gift of his word with which Christ daily feeds us and nourishes our souls. Let us never return to Egypt Rather, hold fast to the gift of faith in Jesus Christ, the true bread from heaven. An early church father once said of Jesus, How many of you say, I should like to see his face, his garments, his shoes? You do see him. You touch him. You eat him. He gives himself to you, not only that you may see him, but also to be your food and nourishment. So here's my advice. Grab some friends or or family members and and head to Popeye's. And maybe talk to your doctor before you do this. But order some biscuits. And then as you sit there sharing those, share also God's word. Share the blessings that he's given to you. Reflect on his promises and, and his gift of eternal life. And then daily come to him. For he is the true bread that Yahweh has given for you to eat. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.